Welcome to the UIAAA Connection Podcast. Hometown Ticketing is proud to be the exclusive sponsor of the UIAAA Connection Podcast and to provide schools nationwide with the best options for digital ticketing for their events. Visit their website at hometownticketing.com to learn how they can make digital ticketing possible and simple at your school. Thank you to Hometown Ticketing for their exclusive sponsorship of the UIAAA Connection Podcast. Welcome back to another edition of the UIAAA Connection. I'm your host, Mark Hutch Hunter. Today, we are thrilled to have as our guest, Anthony Godfrey, Superintendent of the Jordan School District. Anthony, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be on here and uh, great to see you, Hutch. It's good to see you. Let's have you uh, share with our audience here in Utah and across the nation where you grew up, where you went to high school, college, your first job, that type of stuff. I, uh, I was born in Seattle, Washington, and uh, I lived there for a few years, went to Missouri from there, and then uh, grew up mostly in Terre Haute, Indiana. I uh, high-fived Larry Bird on his way out from one of the games at Indiana State University there that uh, that uh, famous year when I was 10 years old. Anyway, That's awesome. Uh, then we moved to Utah. We moved to Utah when I was in high school. And uh, um, as a junior, I went to Bonneville High School in South Ogden. And then I went to uh, Weber State for my undergrad and then uh, University of Utah for my master's and my doctorate degrees. Um, my first job, probably babysitting and yard work, but the actual show up at a, at a job was that my dad read in the newspaper that uh, at Skaggs Alpha Beta, the local grocery store, a bunch of kids had been fired for loading up their carts. <clears throat> Remember at the front of the grocery store, they used to have what they called the camera bar. Right. They sold TVs and electronics. Well, when you're the bagger who's going to everybody's car, to take the cart to take stuff out you just have your buddy show up load a tv into it looks like they bought it and you're just taking it to their car <laughs> so they were unloading all of this uh, electronic uh, gear and uh, a bunch of them got caught and my dad said well looks like a bunch of people got fired for stealing they they're probably hiring so i went down and got a job bagging groceries became a cashier there I worked at Shopco uh, in college, so I did retail uh, to get through uh, school. And then I've taught middle school and high school, and I've been uh, a middle school and high school administrator, and then a district administrator for most of my career. And this is, uh, on July 1, I'll start year 30 of my career. Really? Yeah, so, somehow crazy. I, somehow I kept thinking it was in the low 20s, but that, of course, well, I've been retired for nine years. So what does that tell you? Well, there you go. Well, you and I were working together when I started as a brand new uh, assistant principal. So yeah, it's uh, it goes fast. It goes fast. Well, let's talk. Uh, let's talk for a minute about some of the mentors you had in your life that uh, made an influence on you. Yeah, um, I try to learn something from everyone, and uh, you know. My dad's a mentor, of course. He uh, he got his doctorate. My grandpa did not graduate from high school. I think he got an eighth grade uh, education. So for my dad to go on and get his doctorate was uh, a big deal. And that was always a goal for me to get a terminal degree. And uh, I was able to do that at the U, like I said. And so he inspired me in that way. 
Um, and you, you know, you pick up things from people professionally along the way. I had a, a principal I worked for as an intern and you know, I was a new intern. I'm trying to show everybody that I know how to be an administrator. And, yeah. you know, as a result, I wasn't myself. I was trying to be tougher with kids in a way that was ineffective. Uh-huh. And I didn't try to make a connection. Instead, I was just showing that I could tell them the rule and, you know, enforce it. And she said, that's not you. You got to figure out how you're going to do this. And, and you've got to connect with kids in a genuine way. And it meant a lot to me. It meant a lot, first of all, because it was good advice. But second of all, it meant a lot because she was willing to give it to me. A lot of, a lot of times we don't want to have those conversations. And we just think to ourselves, oh, hey, you know, it's my job to supervise this person or to help this person. But if I talk to them, maybe they'll be offended or maybe they, they won't like me as much if I give them this advice. And she just did it in such a way where it was obvious that she wanted me to do well. And that was why she was talking with me about my missteps. So I learned quickly from that. And uh, that was Catherine McCary, who was my principal at Kearns Junior okay. High. I, and I, I, know I Catherine really appreciate well. that. Yeah, yeah. She was great that way. Well, and, and I think uh, yeah, that's great advice because in the education field, if you can't be yourself, whether you're an administrator, teacher, or whatever it is, you're going to have trouble. So continue yeah. on. Well, yeah, that's it. You, you have to, you have to expect a lot of people, but um, you don't try to be someone that you're not. Do the, do the, be the version of yourself that's going to connect best with the people that you're working with. And she taught me that quickly. Um, thrown in as an intern, you feel like every moment is a defining moment. You know, every decision I make, every conversation I have, I'm going to be judged about whether I ought to get this job or not. So it was a kind of a, it's a time when you feel vulnerable. And that's why I think her feedback was so meaningful. Anthony, what's your biggest failure in life or biggest disappointment? And what did you learn from it? Oh, my biggest failure or disappointment. Uh, it's been a good life. Nothing leaps to mind immediately. Um, uh, it was probably worry over my oldest son, Mark, being born so premature. He was born at 27 years or 27 weeks. And uh, that was uh, really early 21 years ago. And um, so that wasn't a failure, but it was a, an ad- adversity that I had to deal with and just the uncertainty of of what was going to happen, how he was going to do. Now he's 6'3", no lingering effects. Um, he's doing great. And so I guess what I learned is that you just have to make the most of the moments in front of you and don't worry too much about what you can't control for the future. Easier said than done. Yeah, but- that's well said. I remember going back, and I can't believe it's been 21 years, but it has. If my memory serves me right, his birthday's August 8th. Is that right? uh it's it's uh it's august 9th that's really august close 9th, that's really good. okay well i remember <laughs> well done. it was well it's two days after my birthday yeah and i remember yeah. i had just had my birthday however many years ago it was and of course we were were good friends by then i realized it was a tough deal so yeah thanks for sharing this i wanted to ask you anthony from your perspective now as a superintendent now obviously you've worked in different high schools you've been an administrator at the district level but let's talk about the job of ad athletic administrator 
and how you see that it's changed from your perspective, having worked with a bunch, including myself, from when you first got into administration to where you are now and how much different of a job it is. Yeah, it has evolved a lot. Um, we've always relied on our athletic directors. It's a really complicated organization, a uh, high school to run. People talk about it being a small city or like a community college and athletics and activities are a key component of what we offer. It's a way that we engage with the public. Uh, there's nothing more public than having the community come to a game, come to an event. And it really draws families in. So you want to be putting your best foot forward. It's also an opportunity for students to feel connected. And I'm excited at the expansion of athletic opportunities because to me, that just means more connections, more kids having an opportunity, more kids feeling a part of something. Um, and so the athletic director has a huge responsibility to make sure all of this goes the way that it needs to. And liability, of course, is a greater issue as time goes on. Um, and, you know, every sport that we add, people don't realize you've got sophomore, JV, and varsity, potentially, maybe even a ninth grade team. So you've got large numbers of people who have needs. And that's one of the reasons that Jordan District, a year or two ago, uh, doubled the amount of time that we give our athletic directors in the schedule. So now all of our athletic directors are full time because we know how much work there is to do and uh, how important that work is because it really uh, it's everything from making sure there's a great experience for parents and grandparents and community members who come to an event to making sure that students are eligible and well cared for and safe while they're participating in sports to making sure that they have opportunities going forward if if athletics can help them in college and scholarships or professional opportunities are available that can all be enhanced through a great athletic director. So I guess I would say that like everything in education, there's more and more expected of that position. And um, it's always been essential, but even more so today. Yeah, great answer. If only I could get the, all of the superintendents to think how you think, my life <laughs> would be easier, but that, that's another subject. So let's talk for a minute. So let's have you list how many schools you have either taught or been an administrator in beginning with your internship out in Kearns? Well, I actually taught at Layton High School and uh, that was my student teaching. And then I was hired out at Bingham Middle School. And then I taught at West Hills Middle School when that opened. I taught at Jordan High School and then I was an assistant principal at Jordan High School. I was, well, I did an internship at Kearns after teaching at Jordan, then I came back to Jordan as an assistant. This is going back to the 1900s, of course. This is a way. <laughs> back uh, when I was working, yes. That's right. That's right. And then I, um, after my internship, I got to come back to Jordan as an assistant principal. Great experience there. And then I was principal at Midvale Middle, and I've been a district administrator in various capacities for most of my career, I think it's 16 or 17 years at this point. And uh, superintendent, this is my third year I'm finishing up. Has it been three long years, considering you've been through COVID? Does it seem like six? It's, 
it's three long years, uh, three dog years, but it also goes fast when you've got so many things happening all at once. If you're not thinking about something in January for a year from that next coming fall, then you're too late. You know, it's, you just have to, you're always trying to stay ahead of things because it takes, it takes a while to be prepared. You know, August comes at you fast and uh, faster and faster these days because we have longer breaks at Christmas at, uh, you know, winter recess and at the spring mm -hmm. break and fall break. I like that. We have, you know, our calendar committee and our surveys, uh, their work have resulted in longer breaks, but it means we start earlier and earlier in August. So just, uh, yeah, a, a long three years, but a good three years. There's been a lot of, uh, a lot of good things have been happening and it's been difficult, but uh, I wouldn't trade it. Excellent. So share some of the successes from your point of view uh, of being the superintendent in Jordan district and maybe some of the high points of what you've been able to accomplish in your short three years there. Yeah. Um, I, well, one of the best things about being a superintendent is you get to kind of show up wherever you know, you get to see a lot of different aspects of the district. And I'm really just continually overwhelmed at the great people in Jordan District and the incredible things that are happening. I know that, but when you go out and you experience it, it just reinforces uh, how great our, our teachers, support staff and administrators are. And uh, our education support professionals do a great job. I think we've had difficulty filling those jobs and we've learned how how important they are to what we do and teachers you know through our uh, through the pandemic when kids were home i think everyone realized just how important it is to have that element in kids lives and administrators have been so key in seeing us through these difficulties so the great success for me is to be able to work with so many outstanding individuals and to get to know them and to try to create a path where they can be at their best and do what they know needs to be done. And also connecting with so many parents who are so engaged. Uh, it's just, it, the more people I get to know, the more enjoyable my job is. And, and it really is uh, encouraging. So let's have a follow-up along those lines. So now that you're the superintendent of a large, large district, what's the favorite part of your job? Oh, showing up in classrooms. That's the best. I went, they, they all think I'm President Trump. When I go <laughs> to an elementary school, uh, they say, is that the president? Are you the president? And I just say, God bless America. I don't try to tell them one way or the other. But uh, I like the last day of school, I went to five different schools because I was just, I, I just thought, well, they're leaving. I got I to gotta get my last fix. So I went to five elementary schools. It was really fun. And uh, I dropped in on a second grade class and they, they showed off the math that they learned and, and they had actually learned about what a superintendent does. So I got to talk with them about that. And that was just a drop in. They didn't know I was coming. So really the, the most enjoyable for me is connecting with kids in the classroom. So the kids were excited to see it. Was the teacher a little bit panicked when the superintendent walks in? It depends on the teacher. True. <laughs> um, more experienced teachers maybe have seen a few superintendents come and go. So that uh, yeah. I don't ever intend for that to happen. Uh, I've dropped in on some kids in the neighborhood in their class. And they told me later, they're, uh, 
their teacher was a little bit surprised by that, but uh, it's always it's always fun. It's always a good interaction. Excellent. So let me ask you this, Anthony, from your point of view now as a superintendent, if you had two suggestions for a brand new athletic director, that these suggestions must be followed in order to be successful, what would those two suggestions be? Um, number one is to be visible. Now, lots of people say that. It's kind of like saying, you should be a good listener. You know, we can all come up with a long list of how to be a good listener and what that means and what that looks like. And, you know, we can fill a whiteboard with ideas, but the, the difficult part is actually making that a part of how you operate. And that's true with visibility as well. You just want to be someone who's there, who um, clearly understands what coaches are going through and what administrators are going through, what teachers and students are going through, so that you're out there, you're visible. Um, it just feels good to people to see you out there and to know that you're supportive. I learned that lesson quickly as an assistant principal attending events, how much it meant to people that you're there supporting, you're paying attention to what they're doing. A lot of effort goes into it. And as a principal, I remember, I just went out every day for uh, drop-off if I had something in, or, or pick-up at the end of the day. So if I had something going in the office, I'd stop and I'd walk out and I'd, and I'd connect with people. Some people only saw me after school standing out there when the buses came and when they came to pick up their kids. But the assumption was, I heard from a number of people, oh, yeah, he's a great principal. He's always out there. You don't necessarily know whether I'm doing a good job in any other aspect, but seeing me out and about, it, it feels like I'm connected to what's going on. Um, and then, so be visible, and, and this is related to it. The other is build strong relationships, because when you build strong relationships, uh, you're going to be effective. Knowing policy and knowing procedure and writing up a nice form don't help unless you have genuine connections with people who you work with. And, uh, you know, I like to say that 85% of our job as educators is relationships. So that makes it very, very rewarding. And sometimes it can make it very, very difficult. And so making sure that you're focused on those relationships is important. And you, you almost have to kind of track that and, and sit back and set aside time to think about how frequently you're meeting with someone or whether you're you know, you may think you've gone to a lot of volleyball games. And when you look at the calendar, you really haven't. So you have to be really intentional about making sure that you are building those relationships and not taking them for granted and that you are visible uh, in ways that show your support. Great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Let's, uh, let's get to a part of the podcast that we don't normally get to with most of my guests. And so my yeah. first question along this line is, share with our audience where you got your great appreciation for music, because I'm not sure a lot of people out there know that, uh, that you may be the only person I know that knows more music than I do. I did like playing music trivia with you. Uh, most yeah. people do not want to engage, but uh, huh. you were willing to do that. That's, that's awesome. Um, I, yeah, I loved talking music with you and we've been to a few concerts as well. Yes. Uh, there, um, I, there is nothing for me that uh, kind of transports me or pulls me in like music. It's always been the case. For me, it was listening to my little radio, doing model airplanes in a garage when I was like eight. And 
just the fact I liked the pop chart aspect of things like this one's climbing the charts and it was kind of this collective agreement. This is a great song. This is a number one song. So I wanted to be part of that. Like, hey, there's a number one song. I should know what that song is. I should know about that. It was always a backstory to it. There's a turn of phrase or a new sound. And I read once that the uh, best pop songs connect to a tradition. So they have a, a, a familiar format but there's just enough novelty to it to catch your ear. And to me, it's that combination of the comfort of something that you know is gonna be verse, verse, chorus, verse, uh, but with the novelty added to it. And uh, it's just, it's always been exciting for me. So I've always loved music, live music, listening to recorded music, just being connected to it is, is uh, a real pleasure for me. I like that. Thanks for sharing. I'm going to ask you this question, which will mean nothing to the rest of our audience everywhere between you and me. But if I say the letter box stops 1967, what comes to your mind? <laughs> that's what you talk. That's what you quiz your kids on all the time. <laughs> on, you know, can they? And that's a song that most people know, but they don't know who yeah. sings it. They don't know what year it's from. And uh, that just reminds me of all the times that you and I would quiz each other on how quickly you can name that tune and who sang it, and what year it's from. I look back and, uh, you know, not like I said, not many people want to engage at that level with me about music. So, uh, yeah, it brings back great memories of that. I can just remember those uh, some of those dog days in uh, January and February between a sophomore and a JV game. <laughs> when you and I and the athletes are the only people in the school and uh, yep. and we had some great time listening to music. So let's, let me ask you this. Let me get you on record because you've yeah. been to more concerts than I have been. Yeah. Top three concerts that you've attended. Ooh. And then of course, give us why. Top three concerts that I've attended. I'll even give you four because you are the superintendent. Um, wow. It's, I, I'm going to tell you the four that pop into my head, okay. but I would have to go through very methodically to decide my top four. There's a band named the beautiful South. The mm -hmm. lead singer is Paul Heaton. He formed the house Martins before he formed the beautiful South. They play kind of dark, uh, even sarcastic music that sounds bright and cheery. And they came to deviate, which is a club downtown. And I got a ticket for like eight bucks and I couldn't believe they'd come to the States. And uh, I was just blown away that they were there. I knew every word to every song and it was really exhilarating to, to see those guys. Um, also, Simon and Garfunkel, Everly Brothers opened for Simon and Garfunkel in Las Vegas when they toured in 2003. I went and saw that tour early on because I was worried that they were going to break up halfway through the tour, that they just get <laughs> mad at each other. And I thought, okay, I got to go early in the tour. And that meant that I got to see them in Salt Lake as well. And uh, that Simon and Garfunkel has always just reached deep down inside. I don't know what it is, but I've really connected with that. Um, I bought their greatest hits in high school and I just couldn't stop listening to, to their music. Um, Boy, what's another one that is uh, that is a standout? Um, seeing Morrissey of the Smiths mm -hmm. uh, perform when he uh, started to perform some of his Smith songs, the place just went 
crazy and people started folding up chairs. They were hopping over the wall, trying to get up on stage. And uh, I hopped over the wall. I almost got on stage and uh, I didn't quite um, get up there. They dragged me away, but he was reaching out for me. I was just blown away that I was that close to Morrissey. Um, boy, I mean, I could go on and on. There are very few that I've wanted to see that I haven't been able to see. Uh, and there, there's a there's a quote from Duke Ellington. He said, "If it sounds good, it is good." And so I, I've always liked that quote because basically that gives you permission to listen to anything that you like. Sure. And. and so I've been to a lot of concerts that people would kind of like last week, I went to new kids on the block, salt and pepper and mm-hmm. Vogue and Rick Astley. And it brought back great memories, you know? So that was, that was a fun one. I, you know, I'm going to tell you one more, the Eagles. I took, I took my wife to see the Eagles in 1999. It was on new year's Eve, 1999. And that was Y2K. Uh-huh. So everyone was worried that the entire world was going to shut down. And we went on New Year's Eve, 1999 in LA in the Staples Center, the first event there. We found out later there was a bomb threat that night, but they went through with the concert anyway, thankfully. And the opening acts were Linda Ronstadt and Jackson Brown. So I got the whole California rock sound all in one night. They played past midnight and it was the first time I'd seen them. It was absolutely epic. I saw them again when they came to Salt Lake a couple of weeks ago and, uh, it felt like they hadn't even missed a beat, although they're missing some members now. But um, so the Eagles, uh, New Year's Eve, 1999, that was really unbeatable. So Lynn, let me just ask you this as a side, because I would you and I do know this, but I don't think a lot of people know that. Uh, I think uh, Glenn Fry and Henley sang backup for Linda Ronstadt back in the yeah. 70s and the 80s. Yep, And they wrote songs for each other, I think. Right. Uh, Take It Easy was written by Jackson Brown. And I mean, if you watch that Eagles documentary, mm-hmm. they, they really make it clear that uh, Linda Ronstadt was a big influence and, and they helped her. And it's that whole California sound. And so I, uh, yeah, I was quite dazzled. Uh, and there was that element of danger that it's Y2K and maybe the yeah. whole world will shut down. But we're stuck in a room with the Eagles, so it could be so, worse. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's go top 10 songs of all time oh top 10 songs my heavens uh johnny be good by chuck berry bridge Mm -hmm. over trump water by simon and garfunkel i'm going to change that to the boxer the boxer by simon and garfunkel i like that Uh, new order um oh let's see true faith by new order Mm -hmm. um there's a light that never goes out by the smiths uh boy there are so many by the beautiful south prettiest eyes by the beautiful south um back in black by acdc mm-hmm. um what are some of the others that i just can't stop listening to there are those that you try not to listen to too much out of touch by Hall and Oates is a great song for some mm-hmm. reason scratched an itch at the moment um Oh, I'm, I know I'm missing. I know your, I'm missing. Your opinions I, on that, because the piano man is on mine, even though I got to throw in Hey Jude. I got to throw in Hey Jude. Okay. Yeah. Oh, The Longest Time by Billy Joel. When he played that the last time he was in Salt Lake, I 
I just melted into a puddle. I love that song. And he toyed with us. What he did is he, he would throw out two songs. Should I sing this song or that song? And he did it based on the crowd applause. I swear my voice was gone for three days because I was yelling so loud for him to play the longest time. That's awesome. But yeah, that's a, that's a great that's a great song. Surfer Girl by the Beach Boys. Uh -huh. That's that one. Or Don't Worry Baby. That's a toss up. Those are both. Anyway, I could go on and on, but that's a that's about ten. Excellent. You mentioned uh, Billy Joel. I saw a YouTube video the other day. Actually, it's probably about three months ago. But he's he's playing uh, playing the piano, man. And he's talking. It's a smaller group out there. Yeah. And he's got the, the harmonica around his neck, and he starts talking about Bob Dylan. And he oh, says, yeah. "Oh, I got. I have to be able to sing like Bob Dylan. That's cool." And he's he goes on and on to make a long story short. He says, "Well, I'll tell you what. I don't know what that thing is, but." Uh, <laughs> It must, it must be something to help him because he sure can't sing. With that. <laughs> and so he kind of threw him under the bus. Yeah. Okay, let's go then. Uh, we're getting near the end here. Let's go top 10 bands. And I know you've already mentioned a couple. Bands uh, or groups or individuals. I've got to put Paul Simon and Simon and Garfunkel on there. Paul Simon's later works are pretty amazing. Um, U2 is a great one, The Smiths. And I want to make a note here. I mean, a couple of months ago, I went to a show at Kilby Court, Naked Giants, great band. Mm -hmm. uh, I love to go to the little club shows and the big arena shows, new bands just coming up, established bands. But when you talk about top 10 bands, it's got to be bands that have been around for a while that have proven themselves. Yeah. Um, I'd say New Order, The Smiths, U2, Simon and Garfunkel, Paul Simon. Um, Probably the Eagles. The Eagles. Um, yeah, the Eagles for sure. Um, back in the day, Van Halen. Mm -hmm. Van Halen, pretty. Uh, Van Halen, not Van Hagar. That's right. Okay. That's, and not, yeah, not the Van Halen that I saw at USANA Amphitheater. The, the Van Halen of old. Yeah. Um, Beatles. Uh, and not the Rolling Stones, you know, I like when Paul McCartney said the Rolling Stones are a blues cover band, you know, <laughs> that that's, that's basically how I view the Rolling Stones. They had a few good songs. Uh, they have a good guitarist. They've got swagger, but uh, the Beatles far and away above the Rolling Stones. Well, I just think the, the, and of course I'm a little older than you, but I think once the Stones got to about 1970, I like all the stuff before then. There's stuff after that's, yeah, some yeah. of it, a couple of good songs, but I, I actually love Elvis Costello. Also, Elvis Costello is a classic, and there are some of these bands like you know Elvis Costello. I'm seeing him in August. He has a new album out. And sometimes it's easy to overlook the later work because you haven't listened to it as much, and you already have an image formed of the band. So what I've tried lately is some of the uh, bands that have been around for a while. I have tried to listen to them as if they were formed in 2000. Mm. So Paul Simon, he's been releasing stuff since 1970 as a solo artist. But I just decided I'm going to listen from the year 2000 on and pretend like that's his career. You two, same thing. They've got, you know, the classics, but then in 2000, um, you know, they have a number of albums from 2000 on and I've been listening to them and only them as if that's their career. And it's really allowed me to access some music that I'd otherwise uh, dismissed. 
Excellent. It's been uh, obviously so great to talk with you about education and a little bit of the music, which I don't usually get with my guests. Yeah. Let me finish with this question. Anthony Godfrey, what questions should I have asked you that I failed to ask you? Oh. Um, probably what do I remember most about Jordan High when we were working together? All right, well then let's, we've got maybe two or three more minutes. What do you remember most about those great times? Because that was a great time years and years ago at Jordan High. I loved it. I absolutely loved Jordan High and I loved having the chance to connect with kids in, in, in a different way. A high school assistant principal remains my favorite administrative job. It took a lot of time. I'm not suggesting it was easy. But the connections that I made, I, I don't know that I've ever felt the way that I felt as a high school assistant principal. You're just in it. There's so many things going on and you get to witness it. You get to see kids grow up. You get to see them make big decisions and really uh, become, uh, become someone they may not have expected they could be. And Jordan High was that. And uh, all the people I worked with there, I, I learned a lot from. Well, I know the kids loved you. I it brings back a memory to me. It was one of the senior dinner dances, and I obviously don't remember which year, but I remember it was, uh, it might have been the year you snuck out early to go see uh, Sticks, but the kids were just screaming <laughs> for you. Um, so they put Ice Ice Baby on it, and they wanted you uh, instead of instead of Eminem to sing it. And I, I just remember that like it was yesterday, and the kids were just going nuts. And that tells you a lot, I think. There, there, there was an assembly where I juggled while rapping Ice Ice Baby to show I could do two things at once. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I loved those senior dinner dances. I loved the events because you got to watch kids' lives unfold and be part of it. It was really, really and fun. That's really, I know education is about the learning, but that's really the part of education I think that uh, some people miss and a lot of people don't understand. So thanks so much for sharing that. This wraps it up for another edition of the UIAAA Connection. Again, our host, excuse me, not our host, our guest today has been Anthony Godfrey. Should I say Dr. Anthony Godfrey, superintendent <laughs> of the Jordan School District. Thanks, Anthony, for being on the show today. Thanks again. Great seeing you, Hatch. For our listeners, we hope you tune in again next week for another edition of the UIAAA Connection. Thank you.